thank you for joining us on The Skeptic Psychic, where we delve into ancient societies, the ghosts, the paranormal, UFOs, all looking at it from the perspective of the true believer and from the skeptic perspective. Joining me, my partner, my co-host, my sibling, Kimber Rodriguez. Myself, I am Richard Gregg. And again, let's look into being the skeptic psychic. Hello. Welcome once again to the skeptic psychic. Just kidding. <laughs> Hi, how's everybody doing today? Uh, with me as always, the wonderful, brave, clean, reverent, intelligent, funny, and excitingly uh, beautiful, my sister, Kimber Rodriguez. Hey, how are you this week? Doing fine. Uh, I do want to let everybody know you have exactly 17 and a, half, and a half days until Beethoven's 252nd birthday. So shopping is near. If you want to get that certain person's loved one a special gift, you can always ex expect special holiday greetings on Beethoven's 252nd birthday. Again, Beethoven's 252nd birthday makes a perfect loved one gift if you want to uh, exuberate that special someone in your life with such love and understanding that also knows that Beethoven's 252nd birthday is coming up. 17 days. And remember, we love you. Okay, is this a shameless plug for your birthday in 17 Possibly. days? Possibly. <laughs> Yes. We want to welcome everybody who's listening or watching tonight. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe and hit the notification. If you're on Facebook, make sure you check out our group, Skeptic Psychic. And if you're listening to this on a recording through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the others, we ask that you rate and review us. And how many stars do we like? We like Five stars, as well as 17 days to let you know that the Beethoven's 252nd birthday. Yes, we do like five stars, but we'll take whatever you give us. And we do read reviews on the air. And so other than Beethoven's birthday coming up, what else is new? Well, let's see. Uh, work's being done on the, uh, hopefully within the next uh, two to three uh Maybe by fall of next year, the headquarters will be set up and actually working. So that way I can leave the, uh, the, the pellet walls of the Alamo uh, and welcome aboard, Raymond. That's, uh, hopefully you'll find this as interesting as much as we did. Yes. And on my end, not really much. Um been having a lot of sinus issues lately. I don't know if it's the weather or sinus infection or what, um, but just haven't really felt really that alive lately. Maybe it's mm. just staying home, doing nothing, not going anywhere. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's uh, Claron. <laughs> or so, Claron. I don't know. Yes. Maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe I'm amazed. Okay. 
So, what are we talking about tonight? For it's our a very good, uh, interesting theory, you know, might be cloist, might not, but it always happens uh, to the uh, most interesting people. I'm talking about uh, the 27 Club. A club where you've got, in order to do entrance, you got to die. Oh, at 27, goodness. mind you. Now, is it a curse to be at 27 years age, uh, hot uh, shot and ready to party? Or is it just the fact of tragedy in itself? Or did they sell their soul to the devil for fame and fortune at the crossroads? Oh, well, that's going to be another topic we'd have to discuss, you know. Yes, yeah, um, I went to the crossroads. And look what I found. Yeah, I went to the crossroads. And I met the man in brown. Did you um, ever see the movie Crossroads with Lou Diamond Phillips? Or not Lou Diamond yeah. Phillips, Ralph Macchio? Yes. Stephen Vide played the guitar for both parts. Ah, interesting. Uh, Ralph Macchio was, you know, played with the fingers. He didn't yes. really actually strum, strum it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember, I think Scott introduced me to that movie when I was very young, but it was a really, really interesting movie mm -hmm. uh, about, you know, what some people will do for fame and fortune. Right. I mean, uh, Going back into, uh, you know, the uh, gentleman that, you know, started the whole cross uh, crossroads phase, uh, he actually recorded his album uh, in San Antonio. Yes, I think in we, downtown. I think we talked about that in our Haunted San Antonio episode, didn't we? That yeah, I think it was so. he stayed at the Manger Hotel. Uh, no, he recorded at the Manger Hotel because they used to have the uh, radio station in its front lobby. Oh, okay. There you go. I think. Uh, I'll have to go back and check that out. Mm -hmm. So. Would you like to go ahead and, as a change of uh, as a uh, change around, would you like to go ahead and start our wonderful conversation on the Twenty Seven Club? Sure, why not? Um, be just one moment. One moment. Too many things, and I know that uh, going to the crossroads and uh, Raymond loves it, and it's been a while since he's seen it. So. Yes. For some reason, the um, it doesn't seem like the chat is coming up in the video tonight. Uh, so I've I'm got it, it open here. Oh, you're seeing it on your end? Oh, yeah. That's why I've been uh, making all these wonderful uh, comments. Oh, well, this is just weird. It's not showing on my end, but I do have it up on Facebook. Okay. Um, so I do have it here. And right, yes, well. I will kick it off tonight. Alrighty. And is this a mysterious obsession or just pure bunk? It depends on whom you are speaking with, but it doesn't seem that this is the one club that celebrities are simply dying to get into. Oh, they're dying to get into it. Yes. <laughs> 
Membership to this elusive group is both easy and costly, and there are no guaranteed results. After all, you pretty much have to die under mysterious circumstances or by suicide at the age of 27. But it seems as if that isn't simply enough. It's not if your bereaved loved ones can submit your name to a committee for acceptance, because really there isn't one. No one actually helms this club. There is no official webpage or office space where somewhere with solemn photos of their members up on the walls. There are no but loving there is a membership fee. Yes. There are no loving tributes by a team somewhere, certificate or official stamp of approval. Actually, no approval at all, except for public opinion, it seems. And the list as it exists is a hodgepodge of musicians of various eras. And not nearly as many as you would think, given all over, given all the word of mouth this thing has. We'll say musicians, but there are also two actors prominently tucked in there. Well, we can understand one, given that he has the band, and, and even sung a lot in his movies, and made a good portion of the soundtrack. The other, however, has no musical background that we can discern, though his death was incredibly sad. It seems odd that one, he made the list, but we'll get back to that in a few minutes. As this list also includes several sports players and at least one artist. These, however, are all newer additions, as the list was meant to point out notable and well-known musicians who would die in unusual or unnatural circumstances. Yeah. Can you hear me? Are you the there? Is, uh, the, yes, I'm here. The audio is a little bit sketchy a bit tonight. So, What have yes, you been doing? I see that. Um, is it yes. sketchy on both sides, Shelly? Or just on mine? Or just on Richard's? It seems like it's sketchy on yours. Oh, it sounds sketchy on yours to me. But let's get into that so-called history of the 27 Club. Honestly, this won't take very long. Let's just face it, artists of all kinds have been dying premature deaths for centuries now, whether tragic, accident, or by their own hand. It was just never uh, after 1971 that the music uh, press made a connection that, hey, several of these prominent artists have died at the age of 27. Between 1969 and 1972, the music industry saw Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, and the Lizard King himself, Jim Morrison, all died at the golden age. The music industry began debating the subject, and some even began looking for further back just to see how far the trend went in time. The trend never really took off as a cultural phenomenon as it is today until the death of Kurt Cobain, highly debated suicide or murder on April 3rd, 1994, that the 27 Club hit the high gear 
It didn't help that his mother had since quoted in the Daily Wire newspaper, or Daily Word newspaper, as having said, now he's gone and joined that stupid club. I told him not to join stupid club. Adjusting my sound a little bit. Um, All right. Does that sound better to everyone? You sound a little bit better. I apologize. Let me know if you all can hear me better. You're still kind of a little bit scratchy. Still a little scratchy? Mm-hmm. How's somebody else here? You try disconnecting and reconnecting. Better? It's a little bit better, yes. Okay. You're good now. Okay, awesome. Okay. Of course, she never clarified to this to say it was the 27 Club that she was referring to. But it seems an acceptable premise. Cobain was apparently obsessed with death and suicide at an early age, given his parents divorced when he was nine. He even made a short film when he was 15 that he named Kurt Commits Bloody Suicide and later wrote a song called I Hate Myself and Want to Die. The grunge scene of Seattle was never meant to become the voice of a generation. It was simply Seattle bands doing what all Seattleites did. They marched to a beat of their own drum. All striving to be unique in a world of comforty. The fact that the bands involved soon became major rock stars was something no one expected, and some simply were not ready for. Cobain was often homeless before Nirvana made it big, and he certainly looked the part. Friends had been quoted saying that Cobain himself admitted that he would never see the age of 30. And his death certainly wasn't the first time that he had attempted suicide. He stormed into Cedars Sinai while his wife Courtney Love was in labor with their daughter brandishing a gun and reminding her that they had a suicide pact and started an argument between them as to which should go first. Love managed to get the gun away from him before things went too far, and Cobain, who was supposed to have been checked into the hospital's drug detox program, instead left to score himself some more heroin. But Cobain isn't the first to have self-destructive behavior in the past, as Jim Morrison was considered death-obsessed and borderline crazy by his bandmates, who once spent an entire night talking to him out of killing himself. Now, the whole Cobain thing, that'll have to be another episode. Maybe we'll do that once I get my true crime podcast going, but I personally am a follower of the the Kurt Cobain death conspiracy but we'll talk about that on another episode. 
sounds fun. I mean, you also have to look at uh, look at the history of the so-called history of the Twenty Seven Club. Brian Jones, the founded the, uh, who helped found the Rolling Stones, was kicked out of the band a week before his death after Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Stories appear that they were pretty abusive and mocked Jones a lot in the month leading to his unwilling departure. Jones was one of the uh, one who had formed the band and named it, chosen who he wanted to be by his side. He even chose the music styles and worked hard to get the band gigs. All of it was ripped away from him. Mr. Jones, who founded the Rolling Stones, was locked out of the band a week before his death after... I'm just repeating myself, repeating myself. He did tell his friends afterwards that he wanted to, uh, to cut his wrists and drown himself uh, in the thermos or throw or he, in the fans. Not the thames, not the thermos. Not the thermos. It'd be kind of hard to drown himself in a thermos, just saying. Right, you know, or throw himself out of a, a hotel window over the metal. Jones was found at the bottom of his swimming pool fueled by alcohol and drugs to drown out his depression and sorrow. He was apparently said to be in good spirits in those last days. The coroner ruled it as death by misadventure, but no one would ever know if he had chosen to drown himself or he just slipped and fell in. Amy Winehouse, who felt abandoned by her parents and other caretakers when she was nine, and they were separated, was manipulated by her father after obtaining success. Winehouse, who was diagnosed as a bipolar and was a frequent cutter, having been photographed with blood from cutting her wrists fresh on her arms. She was belligerent to authorities and was expelled from school at 16, and was by this time heavily abusing drugs and alcohol, doubting herself, and had a poor self-image. She assumed the developed uh, bulimia and nevro and lived recklessly and often with violent or angers about those around her. Yeah, she's a, a sad case. Um, yes. She was famous for a song about refusing rehab, and that seems almost iconic when it's her addiction to alcohol that finally killed her. Um, I did think of this irony, actually, um, with her passing, how, you know, she's got the song, tried to make me go to rehab, and then she ended up passing away from alcoholism. It just, to me, just seemed very, very tragic irony. Um, she had kicked her addiction to drugs, but had turned to drinking when she kicked the drugs. And she was trying to get sober from alcohol and had managed it for three weeks she was taking prescription medication to lessen the effects of the alcohol withdrawal. Unfortunately, though, for, re for whatever reason, she purchased three bottles of vodka, two large and one small, which were found empty in her room the night she died. Sadly, her doctor paid a house call that final day, again reiterating the damage the alcohol was doing to her system. She told her doctor she didn't want to die, but she didn't know if she was going to stop drinking. 
you know, it's really, it's, it's really sad what alcohol does to you as far as any addiction. I mean, it's just so hard for people sometimes to give up those, um, those addictions, especially when they're dealing with other things on top of that. Right. Um, but it does seem that the alcohol ended up making that choice for her with her death. The coroner's inquest after her death revealed that Winehouse's blood alcohol level was a 0.4%, which is considered lethal. Um, that number doesn't sound that high at first, but that means for every 100 milliliters of blood, 416 milligrams of it are alcohol. So let's put it another way. The UK, as well as the US, have a legal driving limit of 0.08% before you're considered legally drunk. So if you're over the 20, age of 21 anyway, that should be, you know, you could legally drive at that. Winehouse blood alcohol was more than five times over the legal limit where she lived in the UK. Most of the rest of the world only allow for a 0.05 legal limit. And with drunk driving accidents on the rise, it wouldn't stop the drivers. But acknowledging a lower limit for intoxication would certainly be a good place to start. <laughs> now, I don't want to say that we're picking on alcohol, though it does affect your thinking. And those with depression of any form would be best not to drink or do drugs. However, a lot of times they often do to cope with um, their mental anguish, sadly. Right. Now, alcohol, for most people, is, you know, they enjoy, you know, the relax, uh, relaxation. But to others, they do have that... Uh, basic uh, wanting, uh, you know, addictive behavior, I should say. I mean, everything in life can be addictive. For example, take Jim Morrison, the self-proclaimed Lizard King. Morrison was beginning to appear on stage completely high and drunk and writing. It was clearly on the wall that the band's popularity was ending. After all, if you're the prominent prominent lead singer, when the girls are showing up or can't even stand upright or show them at all, the fans are exclusively going to eventually stop buying the tickets and the albums. Morrison, however, couldn't be bothered to care. Sure, there's rumors that uh, galore surrounding the man, the myth, the legend, and most of his just tweeted fairy tales. However, his exhibition was spotically viewed in front of the entire audience when he openly appeared to pleasure himself in front of them before pulling out his personal uh, equipment. Oh my gosh. I'm glad I never went to a Doors concert. <laughs> yes, he uh, actually got uh, arrested uh, in Miami, Florida. Uh, at a concert because they thought he uh, had pulled out his uh, thing uh, in the middle of the concert. Oh my goodness! That oh gosh! But uh, bandmates uh, 
as well as stagehands are like, uh, he really didn't. He went for it before the uh, the cops walked up and uh, arrested him. Oh my goodness! And again, he's a, another interesting person because, which I would love to do another uh, topic on him because he had vivid dreams about his uh, uh, his own death. Uh, he was uh, had a uh, a woman who is well. He, one he had a a girl that uh, really loved him, and then it was his constant companion. At the same time, he also had a uh, a wife who was a wicked. Interesting. Yes, but uh, given up to his unpredictable performance and actions, crawling across the stage or even in inciting the audience to riot, he emphatically exposed himself, however, that same week when the faithful concert went down, he had just finished a screenplay and had signed a contract with Simon & Schuster to release a book of poetry. Yes, so, I, I remember something about him writing poetry. Right. One of, the, uh, one of his great poems was, Alive she cried, and then she died. Oh my. So... Yes. Shelley says, I think depression is quite common in artistic, smart, talented people. By 27, they have had success, and that is scary. They begin to use self-medication, and it ends in death. Mm -hmm. Not a Hollywood curse, but a human nature curse. And I agree with that, definitely, Shelley. Um, and right. Alan says that he's made it. Glad, you were, glad you're here, Alan. I hope you enjoy the topic tonight. Welcome, Alan. And yes, I'm still working uh, uh, on that uh, wonderful story. Uh, I've I've decided to go the Cindy Sheldon route and actually dictate it, so that way I can somebody could actually write it down for me. Awesome. I'm still waiting. I've been waiting just for everybody to know. I have been waiting for a book from my brother since I was about maybe ten years old. He's been promised me a book that he's going to write since I was about ten years old. I've done some editing on the book throughout the years, but I still haven't seen the final product. Is this the one that you're talking about? Yes, as well ah. as two others. Oh. Now back to Morrison. It doesn't sound like a man completely out of control. Yet the band was finding themselves banned. Ban the band was banned mm -hmm. <laughs> from multiple concert centers after the Miami charges were filed that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, released on bond, Morrison left the band and headed to Paris for a break along with his girlfriend. However, he never returned. According to the girlfriend, Pamela Curson, who would die of an, overnurse, of an overdose just three years later, she had come home and found Morrison dead in the bathtub around six in the morning. Of course, there are more rumors that facts... There are more rumors than fact about Morrison, and his death is no different. One such rumor states he died of an overdose, and his drug dealers hauled him back to the apartment and staged the musician in, her in his bathtub. Others stated that he and his girlfriend had gotten a hold of some strong batch of heroin than they usually got, and his body couldn't handle the dosage. There wouldn't have been needle marks since Morrison snorted his drugs due to a fear of needles. 
Some go so far as to claim that his girlfriend, who was completely high, dragged Morrison into the tub, thinking that water would snap him out of it. As far as France was concerned, however, no investigation was necessary, and Morrison possibly died from a heart attack. He was simply buried with no autopsy or testing done at all. His popularity exists as high as ever today, with makers, I'm sorry, with markers for his grave being defaced and then disappearing, never to be found. As fans can't resist having a piece of the man, even now, 50 years after his death. You know, I just want to point out that the fact that there was no autopsy or testing done kind of leads into the fact of him faking his death to go and live a quieter life, as some of his fans claim going back to conspiracy. What are your right. thoughts? My thoughts are the fact of he's the uh, pretty much one of the rare Americans that are actually uh, buried in what the uh, French call the Artisan's Alley. Victor Hugo goes there, Voltaire, uh, and like I said, if there is a bust of it uh, of him. Uh, kind of in the middle of it, where people have put lipstick on or eyelash, or they basically have defaced it. And I, a few years back, there was a uh, person who went out there and filmed, and it looked like the uh, the head was moving, uh, the bust was uh, moving around, looking around, that sort of thing. Also, uh, one of my uh, people that I uh, that I really enjoy watching uh, at being a, uh, a psychic, Chris Fleming, went to the hotel that uh, Jim Morrison was known to frequent and did some uh, sessions with uh, uh, some sessions to uh, actually, uh, you know talk about the uh with the talk about the you know conversations pretty much with uh with him through uh, the early form uh forms of uh talk boxes uh and then of course you can go into the uh the skeptic side to where this guy uh up in uh the northern states uh west coast uh, said he was Jim Morrison and he just wanted to live out his life and just be himself. So, again. Yes. Um... There are too many questions. Uh, my brother at one time had a, uh, a computer that was registered underneath uh, Jim Morrison. Really? Yes. And when I was stationed over in uh, Guam, I saw a picture of his father uh, the the admiral as being uh, head of the uh, uh, head of the uh, the uh, part of the command over there. Interesting, but let's get back to our brother having a computer registered under Jim Morrison. Um, did it was it something that he bought that supposedly belonged previously to Jim Morrison, or did he just put the name under Jim Morrison, knowing our brother and him being a big fan of the Doors? Uh, I. I'm not sure about that, but uh, I saw that the 
Yeah. I'll have to ask him about that sometime when we, when I talk with him. Yes. So, like I said, this is just a, uh, a speculation. Uh, okay. You know, okay, Raymond, uh, if he faked his death, he would probably be found out by now. Elvis, after 1977, is still rumored to be still alive as well. So... There's yeah, been wouldn't... speculation as well as uh, whether he'd be alive or dead. So, But wouldn't Elvis like be in his 80s by now? I yeah. mean, I think if he were to have faked his death by now, he would have passed by natural causes. Yeah, but uh, he's another interesting person. If what we're, uh, uh, That's, again, future episodes. Let's talk about fake, th- uh, about uh, the... Uh, people that are rumored to be still alive or dead, you know, that quote-unquote fake their death, because we can also get into Michael Jackson. Yes. Um, and I know okay. uh, <laughs> we've, we've got somebody in our uh, group that loves him to death, so if he was still alive, I know she'd probably be in the front row waiting for him to perform. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But let's get back to the 27th Club for now. Um, as even Janis Joplin, the bluesy rock singer, able to belt out tunes as loud and as fierce as any man, couldn't resist how easy it is to obtain booze and drugs. Her heroin habit was huge, and her drinking was not far behind. Actually, I think this is my bad. I jumped ahead. You want to take that over? <laughs> Okay, well, because uh, Janis Joplin herself is uh, known to uh, uh, smash, a, uh, she did actually smash a bottle of bourbon over Jim Morrison's head when he wouldn't take no for an answer. Uh, she partied hard and unfortunately died hard of a heroin overdose. Her voice thick and deep and rich silence forever at a far too young of age. Interesting to note, Jimmy Johnson, former coach of the Dallas Cowboys, was in the same class as Janis Joplin. Interesting. At the same yeah. high school. She was from Austin, wasn't she? Or somewhere no, in Texas? No, she was from the, uh, I believe she was from a little small town on the coast of Texas. Okay, I knew she was a Texan. Yes. And also interesting to note, uh, she is actually one of... Uh, Dick Cabot's favorite performers. And for those who don't know who Dick Cabot is, he is... A talk show host and comedian from the uh, late 60s, early 70s. Uh, he uh, actually started his uh, his life out with writing for Johnny Carson. Interesting. So, he was actually uh, one of the guests in Beetlejuice, uh when they were all possessed uh, by uh, doing the daylight come, you want to go home. Ah, one of my favorite parts in the movie. So, so but... Uh, where did it all start? Yes, this, what did, where did it all start? Many point back to the uh, Chicago and Delta Blues men, Robert Johnson. Home of the crossroads. Claiming he sold his soul to the devil at a Mississippi crossroads. 
and order the best of the guitar. He certainly didn't live very long to enjoy the success. Recording only 29 songs, though many of those are far from having an alternate take, with one getting a third. A total of 59 pieces were recorded, but though only 42 are known to currently exist. Johnson was considered to be a shy player performing Facing the Wall, which many led to wonder if it was stage fright. Yes, she was actually the one uh, recorded uh, Me and Bobby McGee right before her death, which was written by another Texan, Christopherson. Thank you, Raymond, for bringing that up. But with uh, Johnson, he was uh, considered to be a, whether it was a shy player, whether he uh, uh, may have wanted to uh, hide his fingering because jazz musicians like to catch other people's, you know, playing to see actually, you know, how they can play it as well. Uh, now, there was a theory for a while that uh, a technique was known as fin uh, corner uh, loading. The idea was uh, basically when you uh, play the guitar, uh, the sound would come uh, sound a lot more clear or a lot more uh, perfect word is raunchier if uh, it was catching those two corners. However, that idea was debunked in a 2019 biography in which authors Bruce Cornforth and Gail Dean Warlow insisted that Johnson only ever turned his back once when asked to play for other musicians that were recording. In their opinion, Johnson turned his back in order to shield his playing technique from the other guitarists in the room, which is, again, my theory on that. Now, while Johnson's claim of swapping his soul for musical genius makes for a good story, perhaps there really is something to that. And um, as I mentioned, we will save this speculation, however, for a future episode where we cover other such crossroad dealings as you would be surprised to hear how many there are probably out there. After the 27 Club hit a stride with Cobain, linking him to performers dying at such a young age, it seemed to settle down. However, with Winehouse's death, the 27 Club really hit a peak of its popularity. With the internet and research so much easier these days, as it's no wonder that armchair sleuths began padding the list with anyone and everyone who died at this specific age, regardless of their popularity, and not bothering to keep the list strictly to just musicians. Now, claims go all the way back to the 1800s, starting with Alexandre Levy, who died in 1892. Levy was a French and Swiss Jewish descent. However, his family moved to San Paulo, Brazil, before his birth. This young composer, pianist, and conductor combined classical music with Brazilian folk and its rhythms. The first known fusion performer. Coming from one of the most renowned musical families of San pa Sao Paulo, music was literally in his veins. His father was a clarinetist 
played the clarinet and owned his own music store and recital hall. And Alexandre's first performance was at the age of eight. His father also owned a publishing business. Several of Alexandre's teenage comp compositions were published there. And he continued publishing music until his death, as well as directing the programs performed at the local Hayden Club, frequently conducting the programs himself. His untimely death came when he sat to dinner after complaining of feeling unwell. Before the family could summon the physician, he was gone. No records exist that we could find stating what killed him. But he certainly had a long and prominent career awaiting him had he lived. If we take the more popular view, the 27 days were just in the, uh, for all entertainers of short, of sorts. Next would actually come as a surprise for many. A British citizen named Joseph Merrick, who died in 1890. Merrick was not a performer per se, by choice, but had to find other choices that he could not find steady work elsewhere and wanted out of the British workhouse system. So he joined a freak show, and we know him now as the Elephant Man. People would pay money to see his enlarged, deformed head and outgrown right arm. Eventually, freak shows were outlawed so Merrick moved to Belgium, but he soon was sent back to England, completely broke. He spent the rest of his days in a hospital and eventually died in his sleep. His death, caused by the weight of his own head. As it was, he usually slept upright so he could breathe. But that final night, his friends and longtime doctor, Frederick Thread, said that Merrick simply wanted to be like other people and went to sleep lying on the bed, crushing his own windpipe. After Mr. Merrick, many point to a ragtime musician, Louis Chauvin, who died back in 1908, considered to be the best pianist at the time in St. Louis, or St. Louis, if you ever want to call it, Chavon was popular before jazz had taken hold of the music scene. Chavon had only three published comp compositions, and he was never recorded. So it's hard to say just how good he really was. His most notable piece, the Helotrope Bouquet, was written in conjecture with Scott Joplin. Chavon's probably providing his first two strains, while Joplin writing the the last two and adding them together. Uh, Chauvin was notably ill by the, this time. His death is listed as multiple sclerosis, probably syphilitic, and starvation due to the coma. Mm. Yeah, going back to the elephant man, I remember that was a, a very, very sad movie. Yes, do you know who, uh, who's production company did the movie? Um, I do not. Mel Brooks of uh, production company did the movie. Mel Brooks? Mel Brooks. He owns the Academy Award for Best Picture 1980 for 
the Elephant Man. That is, that is interesting because the majority of his movies are, you know, slapstick comedies, which I, I love Mel Brooks. He's one of my favorite. Um, I love his movies, but to see him do something so tragic is just out of mm-hmm. character. Yeah. Now, go, I'm sorry, go ahead. Not a problem. You go ahead. <laughs> Going in chronological order, soul-selling Robert Johnson rounds out spot number four. Though we can hardly claim this is accurate, given that the man has been making music and art for centuries, with many lost to time. It also depends on who is writing this list, as Merrick is often left off. We should take a moment to state that the largest list of the 27 Club was found on crazyonclassicrock.com. And we will be referring mainly to their list, as it's pretty in-depth, and including a lot of European rockers that we've hardly heard of. So we'll leave a link for the list on our Facebook page and in our group. This list sometimes will include a Swiss jazz pianist who died in 1945, going by the name of Nat Jaffe. Nat worked alongside the greats like Louis Armstrong and Billie Holiday. He was an R&B singer and songwriter. No, I'm sorry. An R&B singer and songwriter also hit the list, which was Jesse Belvin, who died in 1960, while he performed solo for a while, hitting the top of the charts with Dream Girl in 1953. He was then drafted into the army and went on to write songs for other performers, such as Earth Angel, one of my favorites, for the Penguins, which was the first R&B song to cross over mainstream. He did record it for himself, however, hitting the charts with Good Night My Love in 1958. Melvin, his wife, and his driver were all killed in an accident after they performed in Little Rock, Arkansas and the first ever integrated concerts here in the States. The concert was twice stopped while white supremacist audience members rioted. Belvin had already received numerous death threats before the concert tour, and there was speculation that perhaps his car had been tampered with. However, nothing was ever proven. Rudy Levert Lewis. Rudy Lewis of the Drifters, died in 1964. The vocalist sang lead for the band on multiple hits and also put out several solo recordings. However, he is found dead in his hotel room before the band recorded that well-known Under the Boardwalk. It later came out, out that... Of the sun. Sorry. It came out later that Lewis suffered from a binge eating disorder. And while no autopsy was performed, authorities chalked it up as probably drug overdose. Lewis's close friends and family, however, had believed that he was overdosed wasn't solely to blame, feeling that the drugs may have eventually killed him, but that he had suffered from a heart attack and asphyxiation. Several sites to point out that Lewis was gay, and hence that he may have killed himself. But there's no way to prove that, or disprove the theory, given that note 
or other indications were ever found. Next, Jim, Joe Henderson, another R&B and gospel singer who had one bid hit and then a few middling ones. Jack's one hit, Scap, Stap Your Fingers, <laughs> was best known for when it's find the chart big with you can't you take one step i'll take two mr henderson died alone in his uh, apartment in nashville of a heart attack you okay you there yeah all right <laughs> now 1967 saw the death of lawrence fuel roberts the second if you don't recognize the name neither did we as a performer, he went by Rockin' Robin Roberts and was a singer from the Seattle area who was a member of a garage band known as the Wailers. They were well known in Seattle area for their cover of Richard Berry's Louie Louie. It was well received enough that it influenced the Kingsmen and they hit the charts with the song, including Roberts' improved line, Let's Give It To Him Right Now. While playing in the band, Roberts continued his education and graduated with a master's in biochemistry. He became a professor for a while. He did a tour with the Marines before moving to San Francisco to become a chemist. He died on the scene of a head-on collision, having left a party with others. He was a passenger when the car entered the freeway in the wrong direction. Malcolm Hale was an original member and guitarist for the band Spanky and R Gang before dying on Halloween in 1968. And he was found in Chicago home and the death was listed as bronchial pneumonia. Though a book published in 2007 speculated his death was due to carbon monoxide poisoning from faulty heating system. Either way, this sent the band into a tailspin and they broke up the following year. And another pseudonym for the next musician on the list, Richard Neller, went by the stage name Dickie Pride. He was a one-hit wonder with the tune Primrose Lane. After the single barely made it to the top 30, he was dropped by promoter Larry Parnes. Pride struggled with mental health issues after that and died by accident with an overdose of sleeping pills in 1969. A British citizen, Pride ranks the list mainly because he was the first British rock star to die of a drug overdose. Now, in answer to, I uh, believe that's uh, Alan's question, the criteria for the 27 Club is selling your soul, becoming famous, and dying expectantly is basically the theory that we're kind of discussing right now. Uh, also, possibly drug overdose, you know living the good life, living the hedonistic uh, lifestyle, if it were. But, you know, we've already uh, uh, covered Brian Jones, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, but there are a smattering of num uh, members sprinkled amongst them. That's actually Shelley who asked that question, not oh, Alan. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so. German singer... Doris Trient, who performed under the stage name Alexandria, died in 1969 in a car accident. She was an actress and dancer as well as a fashion designer 
and even entered the Miss Germany beauty pageant. It wasn't until she was 25 that she began her music career and did well in Germany, singing in various languages. In the car with her at the time of the accident was her mother and son, and they were on their way to negotiate with her record company. As she did not want to perform any longer after being forced to record a song she did not write, her car rolled, uh, with, collided with a truck. With rumors quickly spreading that the broken engagement to Pierre Lafayette had uh, led to this sabotage of her vehicle. Lafayette was later confirmed to be an American secret agent, which seemed to be confirmed the rumors of the accident. Alexandra died and her mother and son were taken to a nearby hospital. Her mother had also died of her wounds, but the son, Alexander, survived. He eventually went out to lead the, the Raya Cusack's choir for a time. Just trying to see the connection between these people, that's what we're looking at. Now, Alan Blind Al Wilson died in 1970. As the founding and lead singer of the bluesy rock band Can Heat, Bet you haven't heard of that group before, but his nickname came because of the severe nearsightedness. Canned Heat earned a reputation of being the bad boys, and they were probably been arrested for drug possession, with their managers selling the publishing rights to bail them out. Wilson suffered from a depression for years and very poor social skills. His attempt uh, at suicide, but survived spending time in the psychiatric ward. A few months later, he was found in a sleeping bag in the backyard of a friend where he, they'd been staying. Wilson loved sleeping outdoors, so it was not expected to find him there uh, all the time. In his pocket was found barbiturates that they regularly used to address his insomnia. His death was officially ruled as an accidental acute barbiturate intoxication. Some of his close friends before said it was suicide. However, given his depression and recent hospitalization, there was not enough episode evidence that for him to be ever considered more than just circumstantial. Yes. Okay, who in the, uh, who in the group can actually give me the... Uh, the name uh, of a song written by Canned Heat. I've never even heard of Canned Heat. I have. Really? Yes. So, what is the song that they've recorded? Well, let's see if anybody uh, know anything. Uh, Yeah, I don't think so. Silence. Can't heat in my heels, Jackie says. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell us then? Well, they're actually uh, one of their uh, big hits is uh, on the road again. They recorded it first time on, on 1968. The On the Road Again by Willie Nelson? Yep. Oh, that's what Shelley says here. 
Mm-hmm. And Alan says he's heard of them. Yes. Interesting. I did not the know gr- that. I thought that. Yes. They still uh, are touring today. I thought that they were a, that On the Road Again was a Willie Nelson original. Well, I think he probably wrote it, but it was recorded by Can Heat. Interesting. You Googled uh, it. Shame <laughs> on you. Oh, Shelly. <laughs> Come on. I knew that answer. Okay. And there's probably no need to bring up the history of the next list on next on the list to die. Jimi Hendrix died just two weeks after Blind Owl. He died in 1970 from asphyxia. The coroner could not say it was suicide, but the reportedly greatest guitarist ever to live was intoxicated with barbiturates and choked to death on his own vomit. Mm. Sorry, just take a moment for Jimmy. Alistair Dyke Christian fronted a proto-funk group called Dyke and the Blazers, catching notice of James Brown with his song 1966, with his 1966 song Funky Broadway, which post humoneously recorded by Wilson Pickett. Posthumously. Yes, yes, posthumously. Thank you. Christian was shot and killed in Phoenix, Arizona, where it was said to be a drug deal gone wrong. Linda Jones was a gospel soul singer coming from a family of gospel singers known as the Jones Singers. She had a few hits on her own and died in 72 in her sleep from diabetic complications. And 72 also saw the death of Scottish guitarist Leslie Harvey, who was part of the band called Stone the Crows along with older brother Alex Harvey. He had been asked to join the Animals, but declined so he could continue performing in his brother's band. Sadly, in a concert in Wales, he died from electrocution when he touched the microphone that wasn't properly grounded. Mm. Also, it's kind of interesting to note, you know, I remember seeing a... uh, uh, an episode of uh, some British detective show where the lead singer of a rock band uh, le- got electrocuted uh, by a microphone. And I think uh, one of the uh, uh, one of the uh, guitarists uh, was actually Susie Quantro, which if uh, Another five points if people could tell me where uh, where she's from. Uh, I'm not sure, but I know there was also an episode of the show Psych where someone died from electrocution from a microphone. Midsummer's Murders was the name of the detective show. But Susie Quantro, can anybody tell me who she is? And no googling, no nope. googling. <laughs> Sorry, don't know who she is. She is okay. She is Leather Casadero from Happy Days. Oh, okay. Pinky she Sister. A- Pinky Sister. She actually had some minor hits in the 70s and is actually quite big in Australia for being a performer. Interesting. 
founding member of the Grateful Dead also makes a list. Ron Pigpen McKernan was into blues music and was the first band cover. I'm sorry, he was the first... Sorry, brain. He was the founding member of Grateful Dead and he was into blues music. And at first, the band covered a lot of blues and R&B covers. It was actually Jerry Garcia that changed the band's sound to the psychedelic songs that we all know them for. Pigpen was known for heavy drinking, though he apparently refused to smoke anything. Not even marijuana, which the band was well known for. What are we laughing about? Oh, Raymond says he was about ready to say that uh, Susie Quadro was Leather Cascadero. Oh, okay. Let's see. So he wouldn't. He didn't even smoke marijuana, which the band was known for. Um, but he was diagnosed with the autoimmune disease congenital bilary cirrhosis. So he retired from the band in 1972. Eight months later, he was discovered by his landlady in his apartment. He died from gastrointestinal intestinal hemorrhage caused by the disease. His heavy drinking was not the cause of his liver issues and his death, however. It didn't help at all, either. Um, interestingly, Janis Doplin was once romantically linked to him, predating his death by only two years. So it's interesting how they both made the list, and they were right. romantically... Shortly after Pig Ben's death, Roger Durham, singer and drummer for an R&B band called Bloodstone, died at a tragic accident. The band was just charting for their first uh, hit, Natical High, no Natural High, when Durham, who was survived in the Vietnam War, was thrown from his horse and died from internal injuries. Chase was an up-and-coming jazz band that had been re uh, nominated for Best New Artist Grammy in 1974. They wound up losing to Carly Simon, but that didn't stop them from continuing to record music. On their way to performance at a Minnesota country fair, four band members died when their plane crashed. Member Wally Young, organ player, was 27 at the time of his death. The Stooges bass, uh, bassist Dave Alexander is next on the list. Jules was made uh, about jokes were made about him. Sorry, in 1970 when he was uh, a cut from the band because he was too drunk to play, calling him the Lost Stooge. His heavy drinking got the better of him when he was just five years later when he died of a pulmonary edema. At the time, he was been hospitalized, being treated for his pancreatitis due to excessive alcoholism. Pete Ham from the group Badfinger is next. At the time of his death, he was also working with uh, I believe that's Bertie George. Harrison on All Things Must Pass album. 
and even joining him on stage at the concert for Bangladesh. Oh, I'm sorry. It's the Beatles, George Harrison, not Bertie George. Confound my eyes. My eyes. However, it is soon to be found that, uh, that their manager stole all of Badfinger's money right after Ham had purchased a house as his girlfriend was pregnant. Depressed, Ham started burning himself with cigarettes and finally hung himself in the garage shortly before his, before his 27th birth, 28th birthday. His daughter was born a month later after his death, so he just clearly slid in there for the 27 Club. Now, Uriah Heep's bassist, Gary Fain, also died in 75. He had jammed on stage with Jimi Hendrix in 69, uh, playing with Keith Hartley's band in Woodstock. The band began touring with Uriah Heep, and he eventually left with Keith. He was never known for having good health and was fighting a heroin addiction when he injured him uh, at the Moody concert in Dallas. Receiving an electrical shock, he was unable to continue performing. That alongside with his drug issues had caused the band to drop him from the lineup. Sadly, Thane returned to London and died of respiratory failure less than a year later due to a heroin overdose. Again, so, that's interesting. They had the connection there between him and Hendrix. Mm-hmm. So. A lot of it seems like the early 27 Club actually had links to other musicians. So what my thought is, if it were a deal with the devil, could it be that they all kind of intertwined, introducing them, each other to this contract in a sense? Maybe. I mean, it's just, it's very interesting how there's connection there between some of the people who are on this list. Yes. Now, German bassist Helmut Kohlen died in 1977 while part of a band called Triumvirate. They toured with Fleetwood Mac and Grand Funk Railroad during their time together. And Kohlen even released a solo album. He had a great love for cars and racing and died while listening to some studio tracks on his car's cassette player. He had the engine running but had failed to open the garage door. Sadly, he passed from carbon monoxide poisoning. Chris Bell comes next as a singer, songwriter, and guitarist for a band called Big Star. Though its first album was a bomb. Leaving the band, he tried a solo career, but he didn't do well with that either. And he died in a car accident coming home from a band rehearsal. Zenon de Lefrua was accidentally born Zenon Hirowski, and he made his first guitar in school during workshop. Guitarist and founder of the pub rock band the Court Bishop or I'm sorry, Count Bishops, Zenon was hospitalized following a car accident in London and died of a heart attack while recovering from injuries sustained in the crash just a mere eight days later. Next we move to Inner Circle's lead singer Jacob Miller, who passed away in 1980, along with his son in a car accident in his home 
country of Jamaica. Jamaica, man. The band's American tour with Bob Marley was due to start the very next day. You've heard him more often than you probably realize, given that his voice is to the song Bad Boys, which became the theme song to the reality show Cops. Interesting. Yes, it, yeah, that's uh, performed by Inner Circle. Bad Boys, what you want to do? What you want to do? What you when they come do? for you. Yeah, that's, that's actually uh, Jacob Miller. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, 1985's California punk band, The Minutemen, were gaining steam and even toured with R.E.M. Woohoo! R.E.M. Sadly, guitarist and lead singer D. Boone was killed in a tragic accident, as he had been recently fighting a fever and was sick. He decided to lie down back in the van when the rear axle of the van broke off. The van veered off the road, and he was suddenly, I'm sorry, and since he was laying down, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He was thrown out of the back of the van, and he died instantly on the scene from a broken neck. Now we move on to Russia, and singer-songwriter, guitarist, and poet named Alexander Bashlachev. Bashlachev. Ah. He died in 1988, attending the Leningrad Rock Festival in 1984. He decided to purchase an acoustic guitar and taught himself how to play. He would then go on to host concerts out of his apartment with friends in order to get around the rock music censors. Because at this time in Russia, rock music was banned. The following year, he played at the same festival that had inspired him, performing on a smaller stage in front of 600 600 concert goers. Just a couple of years later, he was suffering from writer's block and depressed. He isolated himself in his apartment. It's not verified, but Wiley agreed upon that he committed suicide by falling out of the apartment's ninth window, I'm sorry, apartment window on the ninth floor. Sadly, again, his girlfriend gave birth just a few months later to his son. Mm. So, 1988. Also saw the death of the New York neo-expressionist Jean-Michel Basquiat. Basquiat. And impressed fellow New York artist Andy Warhol, and the two of them not only became friends, but collaborated together for a collection that was ripped by critics theater. The artist was so popular that he dated Madonna and then eventually appeared in Blondie's Rapture video. As goes with the Warhol scene at the time, drugs flowed freely and Basquiat was into cocaine. With Warhol's death in 1987, Basquiat suffered into a deep depression, turning to heroin, handing out paintings worth millions to dealer for another fix. He tried to clear up his addiction, but it wound up overdosing the next year. Ponji Music, Amiersin's Jamaica, has been called the Elvis of Punjab. 
sending his young fans into a frenzy during his concert, even though most of his performances as a duo with his wife. His music openly dealt with drugs, drinking, and infidelity with the community, though he mostly performed uh, devotional songs. In 1988, Tamiki and his wife arrived for a concert and were shot by a group of motorcycles. Tamiki's own death, along with the, his wife and two of the band members, have never been uh, solved. Though rumors have swirled around that it was either as an honor killing to preserve the family name, or the death was authorized by the uh, Punjabi police for its open promotion of gun culture, gangster living, and the Khalistan movement, as the Punjabi police have been found to have done with other such artists. The final big rumor surrounding his death is that he had been killed by the rival singers who were jealous of his popularity. Go right ahead. No, I'm just thinking. Um, he mostly preferred devotional songs. When I think of devotion, I think of like, you know, spiritual and, you know, that right. kind of music. But yet, he was also singing about drugs and guns and being infidel, being an infidel. No, no, no. Infidelity, which means sleeping around. With his wife, right there. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting enough. Pete Defletus was a uh, drummer for a popular English band Echo and the Bunnymen. He wasn't happy there, leaving it trying to form a new band in the U.S., which didn't pan out. He then returned to the Bunnymen as part of a part-time basis in 1997. Or 87. 87. <laughs> he died in 89 when he crashed his motorcycle into a back of a car on his way back from Liverpool to London. Um, I The way you said Echo and the Bunnymen, I take it that you've heard of them? Yes, you've heard of them. What are they saying? Echo and the Bunny Man. Well, I I agree with the Shelley on the man part. I mean, that just that Punjabi guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they did. Uh. A lot, uh, they were mentioned in the movie, uh, High Fidelity. Uh, it's been so long since I've seen that movie, but it is a good one. Yes. Yes. Well, while you're looking that up, uh, Belfast singer for the post-punk band Five Go Down to the Sea, Finbar Looks like Sugar. Uh, okay. You, how many people have heard the song Lips by Sugar? No. <laughs> People are strange. Yes, they do. Oh, really? They do it yes. on the Lost Boys soundtrack. Boys soundtrack. Interesting. Yes. I love the Lost Boys. One of my favorite movies. When you're strange, faces come out of your head. So they're the ones who sing the song in the movie. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Well, Bell passed singer for the post-punk band Five Go Down to the Sea, 
Finbar Donnelly doesn't ring many bells, as his fav- as his band's only album sold 600 copies before they broke up. Donnelly and another bandmate then formed Beethoven, releasing a couple of EPs that were well received. He was known to be a jokester and a heavy drinker who ended up drowning in a pl- in a pond while swimming. The pond located in London's Hyde Park did have a lifeguard who rowed a small boat out to try and get Donnelly out of the water, but he tried diving under the boat and never surfaced. Bandmates and longtime friend Ricky Deneen was there and thought that perhaps Donnelly got entangled in the vegetation under the surface as a freak accident. In 91, singer, guitar, and fiddle player for both Reba McIntyre and Ricky Skaggs Chris Austin was on tour was on tour for Reba when her plane carrying the seven-piece band and Reba's road manager crashed after taking off. Chris also had a solo career charting three singles on the Billboard's Hot Country Songs before his death and also co-wrote Ricky Skaggs' 91 single, Same Old Love. Now, I remember hearing about that, um, and she dedicated her song for My Broken Heart to those people. Um, in fact, I think she was supposed to fly with them, but for some reason she ended up, you know, taking the tour bus. Right. And... I thought it was, uh, where do all the broken hearts go? No, Might I remember she, yeah, I oh, remember she dedicated, heart? yeah, for my broken heart, she dedicated to them. And I just, um, I remember how torn up and broken up she was about that when right. that, when those people died. Um, Going into 92, Dimitar Voev died. He was a Bulgarian nonconformist and was loudly in agreement with Bulgaria's ongoing transition from communism to democracy. As a poet, a musician, and a composer, he is best known for his work in the new wave band that he formed called Nova Generatia, or New Generation. He lost his life to cancer, but his popularity in Bulgaria never dimmed. The band stayed together after his death, with his younger brother stepping in and singing for the group. They opened for Depeche Mode in 2006, and Voev's daughter, born five months after his death, released a book this year called Unread. It consists of unpublished texts and a bunch of photographs and his drawings that his wife had preserved from a series of notebooks that he had filled. His old hometown of Sofia even renamed a part of their oldest park in his honor. That's really sweet that they did that for him. Back in 1993, Mia Zapata was a lead singer in the Seattle's punk grudge band, The Gits. Unfortunately, Zapata was beaten, raped, and then strangled to death while walking around Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood. The murderer, who wasn't identified until 2003, hadn't known her. Her friends, however, began an anti-violence group in her honor, which still runs today, offering self-defense and anger management courses. Yes. And... And then, ladies and gentlemen, Kurt Cobain, who we, we've mentioned earlier, 
his wife, Courtney Love, had formed her own band, Hole, which featured Christian Hall on the bass. Now, sorry. Raymond says it's an interesting connection there between the doors and Echo. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Again. Now, I'm, I'm sorry. Her name was Christian Pape. P-F-A-F-F. Faf. Faf. She died two months after Cobain, though there is nothing that connects the death to the others by their friendship. Faf originally spent time working as a uh, counselor for rape victims while she taught herself to play the bass. She played with a Minneapolis band called Janitor Joe and went on tour with them uh, as it was better that she met love. Who approached her to join Hole. She declined, but eventually agreed just to move to Seattle. She had entered a Minneapolis detox center earlier that year and left the band. Clean and sober for months, she had toured with another band called Janitor Joe and had come home from tour still sober. Left, or I'm going to call her. Yes, um, Zapata's murder, yes. uh, Zapata's murder was solved. Um, it was actually in 2003, so it was about 10 years after her death that they actually finally mm-hmm. solved the crime. Um, go on with Faf. Gen- uh, Christian uh, was not only in Seattle to pack up, so the last of her belongings arrived on June 14th. The plan was to head back to Minneapolis two days later. The friend who was going to travel with her found her in their Seattle apartment, and on the floor was a bag full of syringes and drug paraphernalia. Her death was talked to uh, acute opioid intoxication from heroin. The following year, her mother accepted her daughter's posthumous induction into the Buffalo, New York Museum Hall of Fame. Her mother, however, Never believed the story of her, of Jennifer's death, releasing a book about her daughter in April of 2004. There's even a new coming book out from Guy Manowski about her life and work as an activist, counselor, and musician with a TED Talk publisher online last month. From Mr. Mankiewicz, entitled Live Through the Christian Palace Hennon uh, Archive and Influence. You know, it's really interesting. I mean, she was supposed to be, you know, she worked in, as a counselor for, you know, people going through issues and everything. And mm-hmm. then to end up becoming addicted herself. I mean, it's just, it's really a sad, tragic thing when that happens. Right. So. Continuing on. It's not known whether she would be on the list or not. Richie Edwards, rhythm guitar and lyricist for the Matnick Street Preachers, is from Wales. It, he met his longtime future bandmates, but first worked as the driver and roadie. He wasn't much of a guitar player, often miming perform, playing the instrument during the early uh, live performances, but rather helped uh, develop the group's sound as well as many of the lyrics. Edwards 
however, suffered from severe depression and has openly admitted that he had committed self-harm through cutting and burning cigarettes onto his arm. He used alcohol to help put himself to sleep as he suffered insomnia and checked himself into several hospitals to try and get help with his issues. Under the air of controversy, he simply disappeared one day. He had made himself to people he had indicated hadn't killed himself, but rather just simply left with the old life behind, for the persistent rumor that he had killed himself has remained as his car was found abandoned from a popular uh, bridge for suicides. Claims of who had spotted him since that every now and again, his disappearance, but it was never confirmed. He's officially been given the uh, status presumed dead in 2008, with the date of his death being estimated at the time of his disappearance in 1995. He is praised for being the first rocker to openly admit his depression and self-harm lifestyle without killing, using it the way to to hype you up the coolness, uh, coolness, factor, coolness factor. And that kind of almost sounds like the plot of editing the cruisers. Oh my gosh, I was just thinking that. Yeah. I was just I was just waiting for you to take a breath so I could say that sounds like the plot to Eddie and the Cruisers. And yeah. here we are again on the same wavelength. Oh my gosh. Yes, oh, so I gotta go watch that movie again now. Yes, I prefer Eddie. Eddie too. Eddie lives. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe because the first one it was more done like in a in a mockumentary style, right? Uh, kind of like a documentary. Whereas the second, it actually has a plot and a story. So I mm -hmm. guess, but the soundtrack of the first one, oh my gosh, I love it. Yes. Yes. I, another uh, five points if everybody could tell me who actually does the music for Eddie and the Cruisers. I know Michael Pere plays Eddie, but, and I know no, no, he no, doesn't no. do the actual singing, but I can't remember who does. Yes. Come on, people. You know the, uh, the group. They actually did the sound... Uh, uh, do the... Uh, the music for uh, John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. Yep. Ha ha. Yes. One of my favorite movies. Yes. One of my favorite soundtracks. I used to have uh, all the soundtracks for it. The first, the second, yes. and the uh, the un uh, Eddie and the Cruisers 3. Yes, we had the cassette also. Or he had the cassette. I borrowed it quite a few times. Yes. That's interesting. There's possibly talk of doing Eddie, Eddie 3. Interesting. I wonder where they would go with that. Now, Jap yes. Japanese drummer Yuko Kami Kam Kamimura was well known for having once grown his hair out long enough for him to sit on. As a part of the visual group Malice Meister, Cammy's bedmates refused to replace him after his death. A suba... He had a hemorrhage that killed him in his sleep. Even after his death in 99, the band continued to credit him on their albums. Rodrigo Bueno spent a decade releasing an album every year until his death in 2000. He was a nationally recognized musician in Argentina. 
The singer was said to be ha- to have been driving with passengers after a performance when he was blocked by another vehicle while stopped at a toll booth. He angrily gave chase, brushing his own vehicle against the offenders, then lost control of the SUV that he was driving and crashing. Not wearing a seatbelt, Bueno was thrown from the vehicle along with one of his passengers, and he died on the scene. The other man was thrown and killed as well. Luckily, his son and ex-wife, who were seated in the back, were not seriously injured. However, fans went nuts. Over 20,000 people viewed his casket before the funeral. The driver of the other vehicle went to trial, but was found not guilty, as Bueno's own actions caused the death. And four of his fans committed suicide over the news. Rumors continued to swirl, however, that he was actually targeted for death, having received death threats. And he is still beloved by the Argentinians today. Then we move back to the U.S. with Sean Patrick McCabe, who was a member of the Philly band Ink and Dagger, and was known for his theatrics. The band apparently included shock theater theatricals in their shows, like Fake Blood, Rising Up from Coffins, even vomited on Christmas trees during their four years together. Sounds like a band I'd like to see. Not. Or. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After the band disbanded in 2000, the lead singer was found dead in a motel room. He had drank too much and asphyxiated on his own vomit. And in 2001, we saw the sad demise of Ty Trang, who was just emerging in movies with The Crow, City of Angels, and Spy Hard under his belt. Before that, she was the original Yellow Ranger on Monty Morphin Power Rangers. Trang was riding as a passenger on a drive between San Francisco to Los Angeles to serve as a bridesmaid when the driver hit some gravel on the side of the road and lost control of the car. The car had hit a rock face next to the road, flipped over several times, hit the guardrail, and plummeted over the bank and crashed into another rock face below. Trang was airlifted to the hospital, but died before reaching the hospital. And that was the year I also saw the death of singers from Passion Fruit, a European band who were on a plane crash while landing in the Zurich International Airport. A third band member survived the crash, but singer Maria Serrano Serrano was 27 at the time for death and thus has earned her way onto the list. While Nathabi Van Helt was considerably simply as a catastrophe. The next one is kind of hard for me to talk about, but I'll do my best to get through it. As um, I was a big fan of this actor, uh, Jonathan Brandis. He began acting on the soap opera One Life to Live. And since he had been fived, but it was his teenage turn on Sequest that cemented him as a teenage heartthrob. I actually was a bigger fan of his since before Sequest, but 
he did in he was in films such as Never Ending Story Two, Ladybugs, Stephen King's It, um, one that's not mentioned here, Sidekicks, which was filmed in Houston with Chuck Norris. And when Sequest run ended after three years, it became harder for the actor to find work. He acted in a few lesser known movies, but thought that his chance was back again when he was offered a role in the Bruce Willis film Heart War Hearts War. Sadly his role was cut from the final film and the T V pilot he was working on was never picked up. No one knows the reason why, but he began drinking heavily and apparently spoke about killing himself. He was found, hung himself in the hallway of his apartment in 2003 and died in the hospital the final day, the following day. Um, interesting enough, if you've watched the, uh, the Soleil Moon Fry documentary about the 90s, um, she had dated Jonathan Brandis at one time and right a week before his death he had called her and left a message on her answering machine that he needed to talk to her and she never got around to calling him back before he passed um, so that was a very very sad thing that happened yes. sorry sorry no, as I uh, said that one that one hit me kind of hard because I was a big fan of his and it, I was in complete shock when I found out he had, he had died. There was also Jeremy Ward, who was part of Mars Volta, and he was a sound manipulator, adding layers of effects and vocals. The band was growing and enjoying a week-long hiatus from, op from opening from the Red Hot Chili Peppers when Jeremy Ward died of a drug overdose, also in 2003. Um, there was also Brian Ottoson from the metal band American Head Charge that helped set the band on the map, though he died on the band's tour bus in 2005. His death was attributed to alcohol and prescription medication abuse. Valentin Elizalde, nicknamed the Golden Rooster, was a Mexican singer known for his songs about drug cartels. He was thought he was shot in 2006 by cartel Los Zetas, who felt they had been misrepresented in one of his songs. Yeah, those Los Zetas, you want to be careful with them. Uh, they're pretty, pretty powerful. I've heard stories about them living close to the border where I live right now. Um... Damien Damo Morris died in 2007 when his tour bus crashed before his band even released their debut album. This was an Australian deathcore group with the bassist taking over as lead vocals, but he can be heard on many of the group's songs, having recorded them before his death. Orish Grimstead, and his identical Irish twin, formed the R&B group 702, along with older sister and cousin. The Las Vegas group soon released her to the background vocals and left the band after their first album. Oris died of kidney failure in 2008. In 2011, death of Londoner trumpeter Richard Turner not only played disco pop with Friendly Fire, but also fronted the jazz cornet 
round trip, unfortunately, Friendly Fire's tour was filled with troubles as the lead singer was going, uh, undergoing health issues. That summer, Turner went for a swim in, a, in an outdoor pool, pool where he had a heart attack. The lifeguard on duty saw his struggling and pulled him from the water, but he died on, uh, on that day while in the hospital. Thomas Freckett from Florida pop band Surfer, Blood poured out of a few of his albums. Our Surfer Blood put out a few albums that had 1990 sound, thanks to Fern's influence, and even put out a solo album, going old school by offering it on cassette only. He had surgery in 2015 to remove a large tremor in his abdomen, but it quickly spread to his spine and lungs, and he passed away in 2016. Now, this next one, musician and actor, uh, by the name of uh, Anton Yelchin. Yelnik, uh, Yel Yelchin. Was it Yelchin? It was Yelchin. This is well, the man who played. Uh, no, this is the man who played uh, uh, Pavel Andreevich Chekhov in the uh, movie. Uh, the newer updated versions of uh, Star Trek. He was also in uh, Terminator uh, series. He was leaving for his home to practice with his band and had walked down from his steep to check his mail when his vehicle rolled backwards down the slope of the drive and pinned against the trick uh, against the brick pillar attached with security fence. When he failed to show up, his bandmates went on a search for him, finding him just after midnight and called 911. But Anton was pronounced dead at the scene from blunt trauma asphyxiation. The actor had been born with cystic fibrosis, though played no part in his death. He had worked the industry since he was a child and prolific career, though he probably is best known for playing Charlie Brewster in the Fright Night remake as well as, of course, the uh, uh, checkoff in the Star Trek reboots. In his honor, ladies and gentlemen, the Star Trek universe added a Starfleet vessel named Yelchin to the show Star Trek Discovery. While not seen, the ship is mentioned in a few of the uh, several of the episodes. Yeah, I I remember when that happened. It turned out to be a. Um something that was uh, a factory default with the car where it um, he had the emergency brake on or something like that but it failed and so the car rolled back pitting him and um, it was a, a horrible horrible tragedy I, I remember when that happened and I just was wondering where he would have gone to had he had lived because I know he had also done um, the Odd Thomas movie, and mm -hmm. I know they were talking about doing more of those and stuff, so. Right. As well as, they're, they are working on another Star Trek now as well. Yes, but he really was a, a very talented musician. I've actually heard him sing. Interesting. He I haven't it. heard him sing, but I've seen several of his movies, and he was a great actor. Yeah, uh, if you ever, uh, I'd have to ask our, uh, uh, 
our researcher developer uh, on uh, because she actually has uh, the movie where he actually uh, plays guitar and sings. Interesting. I know um, Raymond says that one is sad. It was a fluke, and he was really good. Um, he was in the green room and also a small role in Thoroughbreds. Mm-hmm. 2017 saw the death of Kim Jong-hyun, known as the Jong-hyun to his fans. He started as a solo artist in South Korea, as well as performed as a singer for pop band Shine. Seen as Korea's version of Justin Bieber, he suffered depression and would openly discuss it in interviews. But yet that year, the difficulty dealing with fame became too much and he killed himself in his soul apartment, with one of his pop star friends eventually posting the suicide note on their Instagram. Why? Why? Sorry. 2020 saw the death of actor Harry Haynes, who appeared in a variety of TV shows like a season of American Horror Story, as well as in independent films like The Surface. Unfortunately, Haynes struggled with mental illness and depression. When his mother, actress Jane Badler, shared that he had died, the rumor swirled around this being a possible suicide. But the medical examiner determined that Haynes died from an accidental fentanyl intoxication. Yeah, uh, Jane Badler, uh, the actress, is the one who played Diane in the uh, V uh, miniseries as well as the TV show. Interesting. Yes, that fentanyl, that's, I've heard a lot of people um, passing from that as of recent. Mm -hmm. And that same year, Lisa Marie Presley's son, Benjamin Coig, died, having committed suicide. The young musician, who had signed a huge record contract, suffered through severe depression and had been through rehab several times to shake his addictions. His attempted suicide a few times before this, but he had never found, but he was found in a locked bathroom at his mother's home during his girlfriend's birthday party. He was shot in the head, and the coroner later determined that Kyuk had both alcohol and co cocaine in his system at the time of his death. According to friends, he couldn't seem to shake the Presley name or the fact that he looked like his late grandfather Elvis. So, anyone else uh, tired of this list? I think we all are. Speculations, rumors, we can talk about the uh, the uh, Insta-rappers. Uh, but what? But who also would, uh, aren't on the list could also be uh, thought, uh, could be thought-provoking as well. James Dean, Marilyn Monroe, Aliyah. Tupac, Heath Ledger, Brad Renfro, Otis Redding, Buddy Holly, Dwayne Allman, Brittany Murphy, Graham Parsons, Ian Curtis, River Phoenix, Brandon Lee, Sharon Tate, and Jane Mansfield are often thought to be on this list, though none of them are actually are. Even a few Playboy bunnies have been erroneously added to 27 Club. And while there are some horrible Playboy deaths, very horrific. Even a rumored Playboy curse, which 
if you guys are interested, we can go on to that. Not a single of the fluffy talent beauties have actually hit that accursed 27 number. Yes. And while we uh, hang our heads for a, uh, a, a moment of silence for those who are in the 27 club, we'd like to actually uh, talk about our next week's, which is much of a more livelier uh, type of subject. What do you think, uh, my wonderful, sweet, uh, courageous sister of mine? Yes, this was a, a very difficult episode to get through. Um, very, very sad, very tragic. Um, you know, is it a curse? We don't know. Is it a deal with Satan? We don't know. A lot of tragedy, however. But... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Is, uh, is it sad? Yes. Is it a curse? Don't know. Did they make a deal with the devil? Not too sure about that. Exactly. Um, but yes, next week we will actually be hitting a very much, hopefully, lighter, lighter subject. Uh, we will be talking about the Fae, uh, meaning fairies, elves, gremlins, you name it. We will Brownies. be touching on them next and week. And no, we're not talking about the young Girl Scouts. No, not the Girl Scouts. And not the, the Gremlins movie, but the actual, you know, tale of Gremlins. And right. um, speaking of gnomes, and did you know? Oh, speaking of gnomes. Chris Fleming, one of our favorite psychics. He, you know how he's got that show going with mm -hmm. um, Gail Porter, where they're investigating uh, Scotland and talking about these hauntings in Scotland's. Well, he got an EVP from gnomes. And he asked what they thought of the, um, you know, garden gnomes that we have in our yards. And the EVP said that they felt they were racist. That we were being racist against gnomes yes, for gnomes. putting these little garden gnomes up in our yard. So, yeah, that was that was interesting. <laughs> yes. So, but we'll talk more about that next week on Sunday. Um, we will be talking about the Fae, December 4th, kicking off our holiday um, month of Christmas. And, and let you be... know, again, that there is actually a, uh, uh, again, there's only 17 more days left to get those uh, Beethoven uh, presents out. Remember, he's only going to be 252 for, uh, for only a year. And that's only yes. a short time. So remember the loved one when you want to celebrate the Beethoven's 252 birthday. Yes. And... and make sure you give us always five stars. One, two, three, four, five. So that way Beethoven could have a wonderful uh, 252 second birthday. Yes. And again, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we do ask that you rate us five stars. Um, if you are watching us live on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe. And everybody, if you like what you hear, share with your friends. Um, we have some things that, ideas coming up, things that we've been discussing. And as always, we share 
for ideas and thoughts in our Facebook group, which is a safe, fun place for people to hang out. So we ask that you join us there as well. If you have anything you would like to suggest or any stories you would like to share with us, you can always email us at info at skeptic psychic. Um, if you've seen any Fae or had any experiences with Fae's, let us know. We'll include your stories on our show. And right. Raymond says, sad show, but thanks for having him. Of course, yes. You're always welcome, Raymond. We always love to have all of our fans here. And so we'll see you next week at 6 p.m. Eat the Pacific. I'm sorry, 6.30 Pacific, 7.30 Mountain, 8.30 Central, and 9.30 Eastern. And do you have anything else you want to add before we sign off for tonight? Uh, just the fact that I love to say unpleasant nightmares. Sweet dreams, everybody, and good night. We'll see you on Sunday. Good night.